Well, lovely thing is to see all your faces. Um, as Rachel said, I'm Jim, I'm the other half of, of Team Pastor. Actually, there's loads of us pastoring now, it's great. But Rachel and I together are trying to lead this motley group, and uh, it's lovely to see you. To business. We've been reading through John's first letter. Uh, that's one John, or first John in your Bible, it's at the back near Revelation. We've been going through it for the last few weeks, and do you know what? I've been so blessed by the, uh, well, do you know what? Blessed and challenged and encouraged by God speaking through those who have preached from his book so far. We've got a really a good bunch of gifted preachers that I'm really grateful for. Um, if you have missed any of those talks, or if you're visiting us and think, I'd like to catch up on those, you can get them all on our website, kingdomvineyard.com slash listen. This week, we are continuing in 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 2. I would love it if you have a Bible or a Bible device, would you go there with me now, because we're going to be doing quite a lot of Bible back and forth today, and it would be handy to have, to have the main passage in front of you. Whilst you're getting there, I have three main points for us as we look at the passage. And my title for us today, if you like a title for a sermon, is Holification. Which is not a real word, but I think it should be. Holification. My three points. If we hope in Jesus, we holify ourselves. Make ourselves holy. Number two is how to be holy. And how to tell if a life is holy or not. And number three is an instruction. Holify yourselves. With that in mind, my friend Mike is going to come and read for us today's passage, which is John's first letter, chapter 3, starting at verse 2, down to the end of verse 15. This is the English Standard Version. Thank you, Mike. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning <clears throat> is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident to all you who are children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother is righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
We know that we are passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There's some challenging words in there, and some potentially unsettling ones. In this passage, we are again reminded that John, who wrote this letter to the church, and Jesus, whose people John is writing to, take sin really seriously. John and Jesus really cared that we are holy people. And John starts this passage, or, or we start, with uh, verse 2 and 3, with a picture that is beautiful, it's glorious. This is why they care so much, John and ultimately Jesus, that we're holy. It's because, beloved, we're God's children now. And what we will be hasn't yet appeared, but we know that when Jesus appears, when he comes back, you know, shining glorious time, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Did I miss out a bit where we'll be like him with the glory shining? That's quite important. Yeah, okay, that, that bit. They really care. And let's you know. John's good, he's faithful, well, let's get that. Jesus really cares that we're holy because he wants to meet us, to be with us, for us to be like him in that moment. Jesus really cares about our holiness. So we're God's children now, today, that's who we are. Great, that's our identity, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you're living a life with him. If you haven't yet, come forward at the end, we'd love to have a chat. But when Jesus appears fully, calls time on this world as we know it, again, not only will we see him glorified, but we too will be like him. So that means what? Transformed to, as well as Jesus? In resurrection bodies, 1 Corinthians 15. Get to maybe walk through walls, I don't know, that'd be quite fun. Holy, though. It's not just a physical transformation. It's a whole being holiness. That means all of the confusion and corruption from the world within all of us that muddies our connection with Jesus right now, just gone. Meaning that we find our truest selves delighting in the one who lovingly made us. It is a wondrous image of what's coming. And John's last bit there in verse 3 is why the rest of his really challenging words matter. It sets the scene for our passage and our talk today. Whoever has this hope purifies ourselves, just like Jesus is pure. Holifies, I want to say. It comes from the same thing, the Greek, so I can get away with making up words. Purifies ourselves just like Jesus is pure. So let's zoom in on that for, for clarity for a moment. Is John saying here that if you have that hope in Jesus, He's already holified you. You know, hope equals he's done the work. Or is he saying, if you have that hope in Jesus, then by having that hope and living with it, you work to make yourself holy. Is holiness a gift? Or do we have to work to go along with it? 
Yes. Both. When we respond to Jesus' offer of a new life in heaven, holy in heaven, then he does gift us a holiness that allows us to meet with God with a confidence that we could never achieve and never deserve on our own. But, whilst we are living in this world that is certainly far from God and far from how God wants it to be, we are called to keep choosing holiness, to stay close to Jesus, to have him keep transforming us by choosing him and choosing his holiness in our day-to-day -day decisions over and over. So, on to point number two, how do we holify ourselves? How do we partner with him in the bit that he wants us to take part in? How do we do that? How do we make sure that we are living as God's children now and looking ahead to that day when we meet Jesus fully? In verse 4, John goes into a bit more depth. Our choosing to become holy means that in our lives we need to ruthlessly reject sin. Now, a few weeks ago in chapter 1 of this letter I preached and I talked about uh, what I understand sin to be. I shared with you a definition. You can hear it on again, again on our website if you'd like to. Thankfully I still agree with what I said. I suggested, just to summarise, that you could describe and define sin as incompleteness, as missing the mark, this is what the origin of the word that we translate to sin means, and crucially I think, being turned in on ourselves, instead of being pointed up to God in a relationship, like a toddler stretching their arms up, it's kind of the arms folded, no I don't want that, and turned into what are my desires, what, are, what do I want right now? So in addition to that definition, incompleteness, missing the mark, being turned in on ourselves, John tells us in verse 4 of the effects of sin. John says, anyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And describes sin as sin is lawlessness. So when, when we do things that reject God's way, when we do things that go against what God has for us, we act as if there's no law. Which reminds me of a book, uh, sorry, a verse in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, there's a verse that's repeated four times throughout the book, and it's always next to stories of God's people doing stuff that they really shouldn't be doing, some sketchy things. And it says, this is Judges 17, and say, oh, thanks, Warwick, you're doing well today. I've got a hard work ahead for you, Pat, so uh, thanks for being on it. This is Judges uh, chapter 17, verse 6, and it says, In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So when we live as if there is no law, we are doing just whatever seems right to ourselves. And as a people who are shot through with sinfulness, it's just just part of being alive in this world. We are turned in on ourselves. So if I'm doing right by my own eyes, but my own eyes are pointed in at me more than they are looking at Jesus, then the results aren't pretty. And actually, in the stories of the Book of Judges, like I say, some sketchy stuff. Selfish, selfishness, confusion, destruction. Which also sounds a lot like a lot of the world around us as well. So. That's consistent. But of course Israel did have a king. 
I mean, not yet chronologically. In the book of Judges, they haven't yet got to a point where they put a bloke on a throne with a crown. But they did have a king. God's people's king is the Lord. It's, for us, it's Jesus. Of course it is. No matter who is in government in Edinburgh or in London, God's people's king is the Lord. He is the rule of reign. Even if we don't always understand it. Even if there are bits that we don't really like. Love my neighbour. Have you met them, Lord? Actually, my actual neighbours are lovely. It's some of you love. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. You're all very nice. Supposed to be I'm getting a look in the front. The Bible... God is our king. And if that's the case, then to say, in those days, God's people, let's say, had no king. And everyone's did whatever seemed right in their own eyes, with our eyes being turned on ourselves. Well, you can see why John says sin, it's lawlessness. So the Bible warns us that sin is lawlessness, but also living that way leads to things falling apart and to pain, as Paul wrote in Romans 6:23. Let's see. Romans 6:23: the wages of sin is death. Thank you. But, and it's worth adding, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, sin being turned out on ourselves, incompleteness, missing the mark. When people are living in sin, then there is lawlessness, selfishness, destruction, confusion. And what happens when people sin? Well, the pay, the result, the wages, if you like, is destruction. Have you ever had a relationship where, I don't know, you maybe told a lie to a friend? Or borrowed something and you know that you haven't given it back you really wanted that DVD. Remember DVDs? Something where you you'd, you'd put a barrier, a louder barrier between you. Didn't that bring a tiny death in that relationship? Or something where one had offended the other and you didn't talk about it, you didn't air it, and that offence and not clearing it, it might have taken out the whole relationship but the death that it brought in, even in part. The wages of sin is death. John, and also Paul in that Romans passage, and ultimately, through both of those, Jesus are so keen to get across to us the need to live right with God, to protect ourselves from lawless living that is really dying. The warning is this serious because the danger is this serious. When I was about nine or ten, I, I think, uh, genuinely, I was exploring my dad's toolbox, and if you're squeamish, sorry, that's squeamish warning, warning. I was fascinated by this lovely knife. It's amazing, this little red thing, and just how does something that small cut wood? It was so sharp. He'd always warned me really carefully about it, told me to be careful, and frankly, to not go rubbish in his toolbox on my own. But this thing was amazing. So one day, I was exploring it and exploring the different sides of the blade, and I pushed my thumb down it. Is correct. <laughs> that wince is exactly right. It bled, and it bled, and I couldn't really hide what I'd done. Actually, you know, I, I got away with it. It could have been a lot worse, actually. I didn't get away with it. My parents called me. I didn't get away with that. I just got away with it not being far more damaging. I think I realised partway through pressing this wasn't a good idea. 
seriously, if Rachel's faint, you'll someone catch her. <laughs> it took weeks to heal, even if it could have been worse. John is trying to get across to us the danger of sin, because if we're casual about it, then we invite ourselves into a situation that hurts, where there's real loss and real danger. John is saying, don't mess with sin. That's what verses 4 through 10, especially in our passage today, are all about. Don't go near these guys. And also, don't listen to those who teach that sin isn't a problem. If someone says to you, no, no, don't worry about it, be really careful. It cuts. You will get seriously hurt. Verses 7 and 8 of today's passage, 1 John 3, 7 and 8, John tells his church, little children, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever's practicing righteousness, sorry, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Jesus is righteous. But whoever makes a practice of or go continually commits or is in the habit of sinning is of the devil. Frankly, it's their instructions, his instructions they're following. And the devil's been sinning from the beginning. Okay, well, that's all well and good, Jim. How do we holify ourselves? What is the alternative to lawless death? How do we make sure that we are living, practicing righteousness? Give me something practical, Jim. And stop speaking rhetorically, so am I. Verse 5, John says, You know that Jesus appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Oh, good news. No one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. There's a clear and a stark division there. Be in Jesus, abide, that means remain, rest, live, stay in Jesus who takes away sins and in him there is no sin. So the answer is to abide in Jesus. Which brings to mind, for me at least, a certain teaching that Jesus gave his followers in John's Gospel. Not just First John's letter, but John's Gospel. Same word, same Jesus too, isn't that good? Where Jesus is telling us how to live holily and to avoid lawless destruction. John's stark warnings in today's passage only echo Jesus' own stark warnings about the reality of living either connected to God or living in sin. And my friend who pointed out this connection to me this week said, it's, it's like John is saying, you think this is intense? You should have heard Jesus teach on it. So why don't we stay in your Bible in 1 John chapter 3 and Morag's very kindly going to give us John chapter 15, John's Gospel chapter 15. Thank you. John told, sorry, Jesus told his disciples in John's Gospel that I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You, Jesus tells his followers, are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, Jesus tells us. Remain in me. 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, but you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned, as a start warning, isn't it? If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, and show yourselves to be my disciples. And Jesus told them, and tells us, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You want to know where it says Jesus loves you in the Bible? There it is. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. That's why. Jesus' message here to us and to his followers there through John Gospel chapter 15 is live in me. Stay in me. Stay as connected to him, as rooted into him, as a branches into a vine. One plant. Let him be our foundation, our source of strength. Let him be our guide of where to direct our energies. Be sustained by his life flowing in us. Let him feed us. And if we stay connected into Jesus, like a branch into a vine, then not only will he give us life, but he'll even grow us and grow his fruit in us. My practical suggestion of how to avoid the dangers of sin is live in Jesus. Invite him into our lives and spend our lives living with and in then he will do the work of holifying us. We just have to remain in him. But, on the other hand, if we disconnect from the vine, if we pull out our branch away from the vine that is the source of our life, then we'll wither and become useless. Actually, I think we'll probably become dangerous as well. Which means, to summarise and to kind of take a zoom out for a moment, it's all about Jesus. It's not about fulfilling a law, it's not about earning our righteousness, it's about staying connected in Jesus. Everything we need for our relationship with God is in one simple instruction. And still in John 15, you get more, if that's okay, verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So we're not obeying the law in order to earn something, but we're obeying God's law because he loves us and wants us to stay with him. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus wants us to, first and foremost, receive his love and keep receiving it. And, as part of staying connected, to obey God's commands which, of course, is a way to live 
that keeps our relationship with God good and has the effect of making us love other people as well, which is almost like a climate. It sounds so beautifully simple. So, my challenge to us, friends, this afternoon is can we identify things that stop us from remaining in Jesus? Taking a look at our lives, what are the things that pull our branch out of rootedness into the vine that is Him? Are there things that we know pull us away from being rooted in Jesus? Are there even things where Jesus seems to be pulling us in one direction and we're reluctant to go? I think there are some times when remaining in Jesus means going with Him, keeping up with Him when He calls us somewhere rather than staying comfortably, reluctantly in one spot. If you like practical things, here's another one. One way to examine our own lives and to look at whether those who claim to teach on Jesus' behalf are themselves rooted in Him is to look at the fruit that their life shows. Paul's letter to the Galatians gives us a handy comparison list of the fruit of God's Spirit and of the sin-led inclinations that without God's help would otherwise dominate us. So this is in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 onwards. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery or witchcraft, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. What a list, right? Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And skipping on to verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I think that's the same thing as remaining in Jesus and being led away. So that list, that pair of lists, is a handy guide to what fruit we can expect in our own lives if Jesus is continuing his holification work in us. And what things that are maybe more from, well, that are definitely more from the world, we should hopefully see less and less of as Jesus continues his transformation of us. So, as a guide for ourselves, does my life look like list A or list B? And what direction is it going in? And there's also a guide to see if someone comes along and says, yeah, yeah, let me tell you about Jesus, let me tell you about how to live a holy life. Does their life look more like list A or list B? What fruit does a life show? 
Toby, in our introduction to this book a few weeks ago, shared that one of the main reasons that John wrote to, to this church was to ensure that they were protected from false teachers bringing a message that pulled them away from the real Jesus. Well, in our passage today, John is pointing to fruit as a way to tell if those teachers and the message they bring really will connect us truly into Jesus, the real one, or disconnect us from Jesus and maybe try and connect us to a counterfeit vine. And John warns, to paraphrase verses 4 to 10 of today's passage, John says roughly, watch out. See if their living matches with the life that you know Jesus wants you to live, that's connected to him like a branch into a vine, and obeying his commandments. What fruit has that teacher's, influencer's, speaker's life grown? If it's sinful, the vine that their branches in is not Jesus. Actually, it's the devil. That's why John is speaking so harsh. And Jesus gave the same warning in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. There's a lot of Bible today, isn't there? Hopefully that's a good thing here. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gives the same warning in these words. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Yeah, they're just like one of us. But inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will know them, recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Sounds a bit like that John 15 passage, doesn't it? Almost like it's all joined up. Almost like God wants us to be looking at the fruit that our and people around us lives is growing and saying, does it look like that list that the Holy Spirit grows in someone who loves Jesus and is rooted in him and is trying to receive his love and live in it? Or are there warning signs? Third and final point for us this afternoon. Nice and easy. Holify yourselves. When writing a talk, Toby always taught me to ask, Lord, what are you saying through this passage at this time to this people? And the message that I want to share this afternoon was confirmed by someone at Tuesday's monthly prayer meeting. Hey, they're good, you should come to those. I want to share with you a word that I think God has for this church at this time. And if you're visiting and, and checking us out, you're so welcome and welcome to join in with us. It's from the book of Joshua, chapter 3, which is part of the story where God was moving his people into the promised land that he was going to give to them, to build the kingdom he planned for them there. Now, the parallels aren't quite as strong as that. I don't think God's going to move us somewhere to build something, although we can move to BNH again, that's great. I do think we're in a place of transition as a church where God's moving us from one season to another. And what he's got for us, I don't know. But, here's the verse. Joshua 3 verse 5, it says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That word consecrate comes from the Hebrew word for holy, so I'm going to say it as holify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And for the last few years, in fact before and leading up to the pandemic, Whenever we'd have a monthly prayer or a, we'd have a pray for our prayer time in the, the Vineyard Centre we used to have, 
people would write down things that they heard from the Lord. We had note after note, poster after poster, painting after painting of the Lord calling his people to holiness. People would find themselves hearing a Bible verse reference and look it up and it would say something like, come to the Lord fully. Give everything you've got to holifying yourself to the Lord. Making sure there's nothing in our lives that we are trusting in instead of him. So I think that today's passage in 1 John chapter 3, and also the reminder that I had even this week from Joshua, is another part of that call. God's saying to us, effectively, my children, reject sin, choose me and choose my ways. And with us, rooted in him and receptive to his leading, having investigated our lives and said, Lord, do I need to get everything up or do I need to come closer to you in a way? Is there something we need to bring to you? Choosing holiness and choosing to be drawn towards the light of Jesus. I think we will then be better prepared for whatever he wants to do in us and through us. Whatever amazing plans he might have to love and bless East Life. And I want that. I want to be Speaking personally here, I want to be as uncontaminated as possible in my actions, in my speaking, in my thinking and feeling. I want to live with Jesus and for Jesus. I want to be in that vine, more firmly attached than you can, I don't know, sugar, pruning, spirit, pruning, forecast, sure. I want the Jesus good stuff, right? And I want his fruit growing in my life. And it's my prayer that God gives us all, including me, a burning desire for him, for the deepening relationship with him that I think he made me for, for his truth, for his way, for letting nothing come between my growing and deepening relationship with God who made me and loves me. And it's my burning desire that through us we see amazing things like God giving one of us a word of knowledge that shows a person on the street that Jesus sees them and loves them right where they are. Or healings that transform a person's life. Or miracles that bring many to lovingly praise Jesus. Lord, come have your way. I could go on all day, but why don't we draw to a close? In today's passage, John reminds us that we are God's children now. And that we're going to meet Jesus fully. And because we look forward to that, we holify ourselves both through Jesus' gift to us, just by us having opted in, and through our ongoing saying, yeah, I want to join you in that, Lord, I choose you at every moment. And how do we holify ourselves? How do we make sure we're on the right side of John's stark warnings to reject sin? We abide in Jesus. We remain in him. We connect into, we live in him, as branches connected into a vine. We receive his love and we obey his commands. Again, practically, that just means taking time to spend with him, to read his word, to do whatever he tells us, as Mary said to them with the Lord Jones, to make sure we're receiving Jesus' life. And we can review our own lives and the lives of those who might want to have influence over us by seeing what fruit our lives are growing and their lives are growing and whether it looks like Jesus or is going in that direction. 
And lastly, I think we're in a season where Jesus is actively calling us to choose him and his holiness, to holify ourselves, and to look forward with holy hope to him doing amazing things amongst us. That's it. Why don't you stand up and pray for us? Lord, come have your way. Lord, come purify us, holify us from anything that would separate us from you. Come and meet us, really, in your truth. Let nothing, nothing pull us out of deep, loving connection to your life. Show us things that you want to work on in our lives. Come show us things where you delight in us. Come show us things where you love to see your life flowing through us already. Celebrate that with us. I pray for closer and more loving delighting in you, Lord Jesus. And would you bless each of us with that deepening love?